Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we have the privilege and honor of having uh, Mayor-elect, Seattle Mayor-elect Bruce Hero on with us today. He'll be assuming the reins uh, in a, a few days, really. Uh, but uh, welcome, first of all, uh, Mayor Bruce Hero to Urban Forum Northwest. Once again, we had you on during the candidates forum. Uh, but you know, I'd like to have you just take a couple of minutes because uh, you're a little older now, and a lot of people don't know that you went to Garfield and played football at UW. So if you just take a couple of minutes and for the listeners that don't know you that well, just share a little bit about your background. Sure, Eddie, and thanks for having me on your show. And I take personal offense to you saying I'm a little older because I like to think of myself as a young man. But I will ignore that insult. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little seasoned. That's where I'm seasoned, Eddie. <laughs> so in, in a nutshell, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a local product of, of a lot of people that came before me. I was born here in Seattle up on Cabrini Hospital, went to Garfield High School and played football for the University of Washington on an athletic scholarship. And we had some great teams then, you know, uh, Warren Moon was a captain and Michael Jackson. And we go down the list of names. I, I uh, played in the Rose Bowl and the Sun Bowl, had a good career. I was very active in tutoring kids and tutoring inmates in Monroe, Washington. Um, I was a member of a African-American fraternity and was a president of that uh, for most of my time in college. Went to law school here at the University of Washington and again, did a lot of work after as an attorney in telecom and technology, but also representing, you know, uh, First AME Church and their housing corporation, Mount Zion Church and their housing corporation. Um, did some work with CAMP and many of the uh, fine institutions in our communities here. And I was in office for 12 years. I was uh, elected twice as the council president. And then I had run for mayor and uh, I was blessed to win. I, I, I'm quite sure it's a blessing. I, I, I treat it as a blessing, but we were able to win by one of the largest margins here in 25 years. And so I think the city of Seattle has hopefully seen something in me or my candidacy and the team that I'm bringing aboard uh, something to really sort of shake the city up and get us on the right track and get us through these very, very challenging times. So thanks for having me on your show and I look forward to chatting with you. And uh, in terms of your priorities, we you know during the campaign, you had put a focus on uh, the number of homeless people that we have on the streets. And Seattle is no different than any other uh, metropolitan area in the country. Uh, they all seem to have the same issues. And uh, so the uh, that was one of your issues and also... Uh, 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 I guess the policing and looking at policing and how that's done. Uh, so would you like to comment on your uh, uh, your proposals that you might are floating right now to deal with some of these issues? Absolutely. And I'll sort of mix into that the homelessness and policing issue, our ability to grapple with COVID and COVID recovery and with the Omicron uh, variant uh, ravaging our city and our country in, in this world. So homelessness is was the number one issue that had come up during the campaign. And I have stated very clearly that in a city that's one of the wealthiest cities in the country with resources in and around it, that we should not have so many um, unfortunate people living uh, in tents on sidewalks and in parks, and that we should be able to find the resources and I will to be able to get people the treatment uh, that they need. And so I just have a sense of urgency in everything that I do. And so we will uh, publish a plan and we'll talk about what it will cost and what we will do. And quite candidly, I, as I approach anything in life, I have a very, I'm a very focused person. And I just think the city sort of lost its focus and they've become numb to seeing tents everywhere and graffiti everywhere. And so I think we're bringing in a renewed focus. Um, we have all the tools to do it. We know how to move people into housing, we have the resources. So one has to, it begs the question, why aren't we doing it? And I think it's because of the lack of political will or urgency. And we also know that our black and brown communities are suffering the most. And so this really goes right into the issue of police reform that I think that the crisis, the crisis, uh, many of the emergent situations we see, whether it's COVID recovery or policing, that it forces us to re-examine hundreds and hundreds of years of discrimination that uh, our communities have had. And we see that even in COVID recovery and uh, that our community, and by that I mean the African-American community in particular, that we have disparate 
we have a disparate impact and that the results of hundreds of years of institutional racism and um, things we see every single day in terms of unfairness that when we are approached with these kinds of uh, crises that it affects us disproportionately. So in policing, again, I wanna make sure we eradicate unreasonable force, uh, racism, uh, murder, and do all that good, rich work that we have to do to make sure we change its culture. But I also want our kids safe. I want our babies safe, I want our, our elders safe. And so we're gonna, as we reimagine what a new police department looks like, um, we're gonna look at where a gun and badge does not need to go. And we're gonna recruit from our own community. So I'm creating a third department of public safety officers that we will reach deep into our community. They will be trained to deescalate. They will know our community. They'll be culturally competent. And you're gonna see us reimagine where gun and badge goes. And so I'm not convinced at all I need a gun and badge to give someone a ticket for going 40 in a 30, right? So that's gonna be the work we're gonna do relative to police reform, but still effective policing. And I've held the hands of parents who have lost their kids to violence. Um, I attended a funeral just a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think there's a dry eye in the house. I won't mention the African-American family, but they're indeed an inspirational family that lost their oldest son to a senseless, um, brutal um, homicide. I can't have that. I did not. I will not lead the city in that direction where we start talking about not having a strong and effective public safety department. That does not mean I will tolerate any racism. And with respect to COVID recovery, Eddie, that this is as serious as it gets. You know, we do have a high vax rate, about 87% in the county, one of the highest in the country. But again, you do look at how our communities are suffering the most. And so uh, I just left a briefing about an hour ago. And so we're going to be very strong on our vaccination, education, on our testing facilities, and making sure we bring the resources in to protect our community because we are most vulnerable. So a lot of work to do, but you, you know me. You know I work hard. I'm focused, and I'm very committed to, uh, to, our, to our city. Now, in terms of uh, your uh, department heads and your cabinet uh, selections, uh, I, I see already you have your internal folks, your senior uh, deputy mayor, your deputy mayor for housing. And I see that you're really committed to that because you have a deputy mayor for housing and homelessness, which I applaud greatly because it, it should be a priority, as you indicated earlier in your remarks. Can you talk about some of the changes and some of the people that you'll be putting in to head up the various city departments? Absolutely. So uh, I uh, appointed Tiffany Washington um, to specialize in the housing and homelessness issue because uh, the old model in past years for the city has sort of had to, uh, the deputies had much larger portfolio. So they're a little wider in breadth. And what I decided to do was to have with laser focused, uh, a direct report focusing in on every every touch point where the city has in housing, whether it's going to be the zoning piece of it, the housing levy, how people, uh, you know, fighting gentrification, et cetera. So I'm really happy that Tiffany Washington is going to help me lead that work. You also see that I appointed um, a African-American woman, Adiam Emery, to be my chief equity officer, a direct report to me. And that's a new position. And I've looked at how I think that if the city is truly going to drive equity, in terms of education or um, transportation or any of the parts of a mentorship, uh, any of the parts, healthcare, any of the parts that really we see the largest disparities that I want a direct report help me, helping me drive the work. And so you're gonna see her work in healthcare and her work in terms of mentorship and counseling and um, tutoring, you're gonna see some huge equity initiatives come out of our administration through um, Audium and Emery, who is an engineer by training. And the reason I'm, I mentioned that is because we measure what we do. And I wanted that kind of skill set to help me lead that work. I'm bringing over Derek Wheeler Smith. I think many of you know his family, the Wheeler family, who is, I just think a younger talent and strong leader to head up my cell office of civil rights coupled with the fact that, uh, you know, he, he's done a lot of work in equity and in, in healthcare and gun safety. And so he's gonna help us not only um, train and educate people in this world, but he's gonna be out there on the front line making sure we operationalize. And by that, I mean, um, 
we are really working with community-based organizations, hearing them and giving them the resources they need to move the needle. I, all hands on deck with me. So I can go on about some other people, but you know, I have, I have, I think in the first time in history, I think I have three deputy mayors, all of whom are women and all of whom are people of color. Um, you know, I walk my talk and when I talk about, I want a leadership team to represent this city um, and represent those who need it the most often, I look for that kind of talent and that kind of commitment to excellence. And I have a very diverse cabinet. And so we're really proud of the work we're doing and we're continuing to put it together. Well, you mentioned Derek Wheeler-Smith. He's also on uh, the advisory board for the uh, MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative. And it's a collaborative effort with uh, some Indian brothers and sisters who are in the technology industry, who are committed to training 24 uh, African descendants of the United States enslaved to be proficient in digital technology. And uh, uh, anyway, we'll talk about that some other time, but that's one of the innovative things we're talking about is because we, this is a, a situation where people not don't start at the bottom, they will go in the middle and the technology companies are looking for these folks. And like Microsoft uses 700, over 750,000 subcontractors. So even a person that's had a problem with the law or any other kind of issue, they have that skill, they can still be gainfully employed. So I just had to put that pitch in for MLK Gandhi, since you mentioned Derek Wheeler-Smith, and that's a very good choice. Uh, I hold that brother in very high esteem. And uh, even though he's a lot younger than me, uh, he's wise beyond his years, and he's definitely committed to the community. So you, you couldn't have made a better choice than that. As a matter of fact, all the choices I've heard about so far are par excellent. So, uh, Mr. Mayor, you're off to a good start. So uh, what uh, I, I, we've mentioned homelessness and police and stuff. Uh, what will be your uh, program to ensure there is economic justice in the way the city of Seattle does business? Yeah. I did want to say, you mentioned that um, Derek Wheeler-Smith was a lot younger than you. You know, most people are a lot younger than you, Eddie, so let's just get the record straight on that. You you write about that, buddy, but I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, had, I had to get my shot back at you, Eddie. You know, that's all the love and respect. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> so we talk about economic justice. The first thing I'm creating, uh, Eddie, is a new department. It's called the Seattle Job Center. And because what I want to do is centralize well, let me put it this way. If a person's look individually looking for a pathway to prosperity or self-optimization, where do they go? Well, they need, if they're, so they're a student, they have impediments to paying tuition um, because it's expensive. So I wanna put in there where all the available grants are and to make them known to the philanthropic community. If a person needs training, some of these, some of these maritime jobs pay six-figure salaries. Perhaps they're not gonna develop code for Microsoft. So I want to be able to put those possibilities in there, but perhaps they want to go into high tech or biotech. And so in the Seattle Job Center, it's going to be a matchmaking center um, with bodies in this department to make sure that employers can find employees and employees can find employers. With respect to small businesses, we want to do the exact same thing. In my mind, in the work that I've done, it's all about relationship capital. And by that, I mean, uh, I need small business owners to have the relationships with other small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses, and with the state and the county. And I know you've worked, you've worked diligently and you've put a life purpose in, in supporting small uh, Black-owned businesses. And so the kind of work you've been doing for decades, Eddie, we want to put some structure around that and make sure that our Office of Economic Development leads in this work and this, perhaps the city can sort of shake up the county and the port and the state to make sure that they are all implementing best practices with respect to opportunities. That's that's our job. The city is the economic driver for this state. And so we should show leadership for all of the institutions like the University of Washington. So you're gonna see between our Seattle Job Center and our Economic um, uh, Office of Development, um, a new heightened and, and intense energy in this regard. Uh, and we got this Omicron uh, variant in every state now. Uh, have you uh, thought about how you would approach running the city uh, with this thing running rampant and so many people that don't want to get vaccinated who are occupying all the beds in the hospitals? I was just curious, what are your plans to deal with that virus? It will be waiting for you. When do you take office? I take office January 1st. January 1st. So, so Omicron will be waiting for you when you take office. So I just want to know if there are any specific plans. 
Is there anything the former mayor has done that you will be adopting to deal with that issue? Yeah, it's. Uh, I literally just got off a briefing a little while ago on, on you know, what's the trouble. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question directly, but I did want to say that, you know, we're we're living with fear. We're li- living with fear to be around other people, to laugh in public and take off masks and enjoy each other's company. We're living in fear of violence that's out there. And so I'm inheriting a city that to a large extent is not itself. And, and I, you know, we deal with that every day and I have the blessing to live in a house with heat and warm water and, and some family company and many people are alone and they don't have money for heat. And so what we have to do is again, make sure that um, we first inspire people such that they realize there is, there will be, there's hope. And then number two, we make the right investments to keep people warm and keep, keep, keep people safe. So having said that, with respect to COVID, um, uh, we are a highly vaccinated city and county. Like I said, uh, 87%, one of the highest in the country. And in fact, over 94% now of eligible recipients have gotten the first shot. So hopefully in the next three weeks, we'll be in, an, in the mid nineties, which again is off the map. The, the, the thing about Omicron, while it is extremely transmittable, the those who are vaccinated do not uh, the the data would suggest that they are not getting of course as 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 sick and they are not requiring the hospital hospitalization that the uh, untreated unvaccinated people are are so we have to educate educate and get people out there to get vaccinated I mean I I have personal friends who are still not vaccinated and so I have to lead with that I have some decisions to make here in the next week I mean look at the data and the science and whether I require people to stay home and or mandate it. Uh, we're working through our policies now and next week we'll make some announcements, but I, I will let the data drive our decisions and I will err on the side of safety. I, I understand people's rights and they wanna make decisions, but this is a decision that affects everyone around you. So we're, I'm, I'm more cautious than not on this. And so my policies will reflect that cautiousness. Well, Mayor Bruce Hill, once again, congratulations on your election, electoral victory and uh, it looks like you have a, a plan to deal with the issues at hand in the city of Seattle and uh, wish you nothing but success. And uh, I also want to say about, about the MLK Gandhi, one of the things we have to do is we have people in training, they got to survive. So MLK Gandhi is going to be uh, uh, making arrangements to have all the uh, trainees or the people in the program to receive $2,500 a month. We're working closely with uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, who's chair of the House Education and Labor Committee, and also with our own uh, education chair, Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. So thank you very much, and Happy New Year to you and your family, Mr. Mayor. Appreciate you. Thank you, Eddie, and thank you for all of the work you and your station do. You are strong allies in the work we're trying to do, so I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Okay. All right. Uh, our next guest is Attorney uh, uh, Lynn Wilson, and uh is Lynn on with us right now? I am. Hi, Eddie. Hey, Lynn. Happy How you New doing? Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Well, Lynn, you know, uh, I posted that picture that you sent me with you and members of the National Lawyers Guild, and you guys were in uh, South Africa and East London uh, for the for our first uh, Peace and Reconciliation uh, Commission uh, hearings. They were put together by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. So I'd just like to have you share with our listeners a little bit about, because you and I both worked together in the anti-apartheid movement for years in the city of Seattle. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to remember the lady's name that went to court. I think her name was Val. Was she an attorney? Val Carlson, yes. Val she was Carlson. a lawyer's guild attorney. Yeah, she, she, she represented me when I was arrested at the South African Consulate and the judge let me go, thankfully. <laughs> and so anyway, and I think Stan Taylor came and got me out of jail. So but why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about, uh, a little bit about your work uh, with the uh, uh, Desmond Tutu, and also about the work you've been doing against apartheid in the city of Seattle. Thanks, Eddie. I'm really honored to be here today and participate in your the last program of the year. Um, so yeah, and you can see for those people on Zoom, I have Nelson Mandela on my wall, and um, I was really honored to participate in the Lawyers Guild. Um, it was not just the Lawyers Guild, Na- National Lawyers Guild, which is a 
a, a very old civil rights organization that was formed in the 30s because the American Bar Association did not allow black attorneys to join. Um, and then in the 80s, um, there was an organization formed called the National Conference of Black Lawyers. And it was the combination of those two organizations that agreed to go to be legal observers to the opening ceremonies of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, I was thinking about what happened and the, and the participation of Archbishop Tutu and what an incredible amazing human being he is. Um, you could not be in the room with him without being aware that you were in the presence of a really uh, enlightened human being. He just exuded love and compassion. And what happened, we had about 10 National Lawyers Guild attorneys. We had about 10 Black attorneys from the National Conference of Black Lawyers with us. We had been there for a couple of weeks. Um, on April 2nd, 1996, um, a carload of black attorneys, three of the 10 attorneys that were there, were killed in a car accident, in a terrible car accident in Cape Town. And one of the attorneys was Haywood Burns, who um, was one of the attorneys for Martin Luther King. He uh, had been the founder of the National Conference of Black Lawyers. He also had helped write the, con the constitution for the new South Africa. And we were all so traumatized. And what I remember about Archbishop Tutu is there were two weeks until the hearings open and he spent time with us. And that's what that picture is. Um, some of the other attorneys there were just extremely traumatized. It was really, really hard. And, um, and just another little piece of background is that what we forget, it's been 25 years and, and 30 years since apartheid was ended, but the transfer, the American, uh, the American, the, the African National Congress was considered a terrorist organization. And as you, I'm sure, remember, it was basically a guerrilla war and um and the sanctions and the movement, especially in I, the movement in Seattle was just really strong. And I have really great memories, especially with you and Marjorie Prince and some of the other people that were here. Um, but the sanctions were worked and um, the South, the apartheid government was forced to transfer power to the African National Congress. But they insisted that there be amnesty for those thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of um incidents of state-sanctioned state violence and um, terrible torture and killings um, during the apartheid era. And so, and they would not allow the, the uh, power to be transferred to the African National Congress, which was considered a terrorist organization, unless there was amnesty for uh, the people who had committed these atrocities. So that was the beginning, that was what, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was. So in exchange for showing up at the hearing, uh, testifying about what you had done, um, there were no criminal charges brought against the perpetrators. The victims would show up at the hearings and testify about what had happened to them. And in exchange, um, they there was this huge organization set up and when Mandela became president, he appointed Archbishop Tutu to run the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, so in addition to him just being present with us as we were just so traumatized with its terrible loss, um, he also put on the truth, the beginning of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and um, that was just an incredible experience. It was just, I mean, it's hard to describe what it was like, but um, so the victims, we went to the victim hearings, the victim hearings, um, and it was most of the, the victims that testified were black. Some of them were white. They also had victims that were um, allegedly victims of um, African National Congress uh, attacks. And um, the they were set up in a way to allow people to actually um, 
heal from the trauma that they experienced. And it was just, the room was just so filled with Archbishop Tutu and his compassion for these people. It was just incredible. Um, and so the second day of the hearing, what I really remember um, about the, the second day of the hearing is that we were sort of, um, there were also a lot of international lawyers there. There was a, another organization called the International Association of Democratic Lawyers, and they were from all over the world, African lawyers, South from Argentina, South America, uh, the Caribbean, Trinidad, Jamaica, um, Europe, uh, Spain, Portugal, they were from all over the world. So there was a huge segment of us that were observing these hearings. And on the second day of the hearings, there was a man who was in a wheelchair and he testified that about the torture that he had experienced and he had had a stroke and his attorney, this was, he, this had all occurred before Nelson Mandela was put in prison. His attorney was Nelson Mandela. And as he was speaking, he broke down and the entire, it's just hard for me to even think about this, but the entire room totally broke down in tears, including an Archbishop Tutu put his head on the table and he just started sobbing. And so they closed the hearing down for the day because, but that was him. He, he just, he just, and then he got up the next day and went back and did it again. And he just was just the most incredible just to be in the room with someone like that. It's, it's just, you just don't, it's hard to explain what that was like and how how much compassion he showed for us, these lawyers who had suffered this terrible loss by these three attorneys being killed so um, so suddenly. And so um, it, it was just really an incredible experience. And, and one more thing I wanted to say, um, and I know I don't have any more time, but so the TRC, the truth, it was very controversial and very few of the perpetrators showed up. Um, and they were given amnesty. So, and very few of the perpetrators were charged with criminal acts. Um, had, but had there not been this TRC, I'm just not sure what would have happened. Um, it's just, no one really knows, but it, it finally, it took seven years. And at the end of the seven years, I believe there were 20,000 people who had signed up. A lot of people would not participate. They absolutely refused. Um, but each person was given reparations um, and given the fact that the economic situation in South Africa it wasn't probably a whole lot of money Americans probably wouldn't have accepted it but um, but they but but the 20,000 people who signed up and registered as victims received monetary compensation for the suffering that they had endured under the 40 years of apartheid and um, I think that for other, for younger people who are listening, it was a really good model um, to look at as we continue to discuss this whole idea of reparations in our society. But I'm, you know, I don't think of losing, I don't think we lost Archbishop Tutu. I think his spirit is still here. And, um, it, it, you know, how fortunate we are, how blessed we are that we had him. And, and I just am just so honored that I, was able to be in his presence for even just a, a while. So thanks so much for having me. Lynn, thank you very much for sharing that because, uh, you know, we was on the front page of the media today about uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu's uh, death and the response from world leaders. And it was also a joy working with you in the National Lawyers Guild. They got me out of jail and got me, got, got me saved in the courtroom for my anti-apartheid demonstration. So thank you very much, Lynn Wilson. We'll be in touch. You're and welcome. Keep up Okay, bye-bye now. Bye. Okay. Eric, we'll take a break and come back right after that. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. 
Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eric, you hit the right tune at the right time. We will be bringing a brand new year tomorrow. It's New Year's Eve, and this program can be heard on New Year's Day at 7 o'clock on the same station. Uh, My next guest is Carmel Bias, who is the CEO and founder of Women in Business Expo Group, and they have a lot of activities in terms of assisting women in business opportunities. So uh, why don't you share with our, uh, first of all, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And I wanted you to go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself before we talk about the organization. Yes, yes. Well, I want to thank you once again, Mr. Rye, for having me on your show this afternoon. This is an amazing opportunity, and I am so glad to be with you, um, to be able to share, you know, the information, the work it is that we've been doing here um, at Women in Business Expo Group. So I am super excited, excited. Yes, yes. So I want to let your listeners know a little bit about myself. Um, Originally born and raised right here in Seattle. So I am an original Seattleite. Um, been doing the work here um, with Women in Business Expo Group for the last seven years. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur myself since 2004. Um, so going on about 20 years it's been for me. Um, and, and just, like I said, just passionate about small business owners, um, entrepreneurship, and, and educating you know, our community on, on being self-sufficient. That, that's been my goal. That's my passion. <laughs> and that's a good passion to have. Now, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, about the organization itself and how you, I know you have a, a various events throughout the year. Uh, what do you have coming up and uh, share a little bit about some of the events you guys have done in the past? Yes. Well, we are just, like I said, super excited about a lot of the things it is that we've been doing. You know, Women in Business Expo Group is a nonprofit organization. We started back in 2015, February of 2015, um, really servicing the Seattle-Tacoma area. Wanted to bring business owners together um, to have a, a place where business owners could be able to come together, network, connect, and really support one another. You know, and that was the one thing it is that I found many years ago that was missing. Um, so, so I wanted to, to really have an organization where the support was there, the encouragement, where we kept each other motivated and kept, uh, you know, business owners moving forward uh, in their dreams of entrepreneurship. So started the organization, like I said, um, and been moving forward. You know, our mission is to support and empower business-minded individuals by providing resources that develop leadership skills and enhance healthy personal and professional growth. So some of the things it is that we've done in the past is we've put on a number of different events, um, large community events where we've allowed small business owners to be able to come in, uh, showcase and sell their products and services. Um, we've done a number of different galas, um, dinners, that kind of thing um, for the community. Um, so a number of great things it is that we've done in the past prior to COVID. Um, but coming up, you know, moving forward as things have transitioned, as many of us know, um, we are moving more into a virtual space. So I have been working with Elaine Robinson of Smiling Websites, um, and she's been diligently working on this website for us that we are so excited about, been working very hard on this. But this is going to be an amazing website coming out here full of resources, information, 
for small business owners, those out there that are looking for resources. This is kind of a, a one-stop shop it is that we're, we're putting together here. Um, there's going to be a small business directory on there. Um, uh, you can go right there and find small business owners um, that you can support, you know, that, that are out there definitely doing the work in our business directory. Also, too, on this website, there's going to be an e-commerce platform, too. So this is going to allow our members women of Women in Business Expo Group to put their products and services right there on the site. Um, and, and be able to sell right from the site, too. So we're creating, hopefully, a, another avenue, uh, a revenue of, of income for those small business owners, too. So, so we really want to, you know, put that out there, like I said, let others know about this website. It is it's coming out very soon. We're going to be launching at the beginning of the year. And just excited about this work it is that we're doing um, to really support and empower small business owners and keep us connected. You know, and that's mm-hmm. the main thing in, in, in entrepreneurship is staying connected, staying connected to the community and to our customers. And I know you guys formerly here did quite a bit of stuff uh, uh, in person at, at yes. various events. And now with this uh, new virus, Omicron virus uh, resurfacing, uh, how does that alter your plans? That's it's it's somewhat has altered the plan. Um, we've we've still uh, been doing some things Zoom wise, you know, and and like I said, more virtual events. Um, but the plan is hopefully at some point to be able to come back in person um, and be able to continue the work it is that we were doing prior to COVID. Um, but, you know, right now we, we want to go with, with, of course, what our audience is looking for and what they want. And so right now, I, I must say, you know, still doing things virtually um, has worked out in our favor also, too. So, so, you know, hopefully in the future here we may go, you know, both ways and, and still keep the virtual, but also do some in-person events, too. I, I think a lot of people will be adopting that strategy because you can reach so many more people. Uh, by also including uh, that virtual concept. So uh, why don't you share with our our listeners uh, your contact information, website address, information like that, where they can get a little closer look at you and your organization and decide whether or not they want to participate or they might have some input for you. Yes, yes, I would love to share that information. And really quick, Mr. Rye, I want to share with your listening audience, too. Women in Business Expo Group, we're also um, looking for for those that are speakers out there. We're doing a mentorship program with uh, Echo Glen Youth Detention Center. So looking for those that are, uh, you know, looking to inspire young people um, about entrepreneurship. So if there's someone out there, definitely would love to have to speak with you uh, more in detail about this program it is that we're putting together with them, too. So for those of you that are interested in learning more about the website, the work it is that we do at Women in Business Expo Group, they can definitely uh, contact us by email, womeninbusinessexpogroup at yahoo.com. The website will launch, like I said, January 6th. That web address you can go to is www.wibeg.biz. And there you can find the website that will be launched January 6th. Um, and you can find all kind of resource information there, sign up for membership. You can look at um, any upcoming events it is that we may have or other organizations may have too. So you can find all kind of information there on that website. Again, I'll go ahead and give you that. It's www.wibeg.biz. Carmel, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for all the work you're doing and may you have a uh, a healthy and prosperous new year and hopefully people will sign up and get on the good foot with you and uh, Black Women in Expo Group. So thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you again, Mr. Wright. You all take care. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So Eric, we'll go ahead and take a break right now and uh, come back with our guests after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. 
Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. This is Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum Northwest. And in 18 days will be uh, the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. And uh, Martin Luther King III says he doesn't want a celebration, but he wants the people to be vigilant and stand up for voting rights. And the Seattle King County Martin Luther King Jr. Organizing Coalition uh, has reached out and they have also included younger people in the mix, thanks to Shade Moore. She was young when she got started. But uh, I want to start with... Uh, one of the programs they have every year. And uh, I want to start with Alexis, but I want to introduce Kennedy Palmore. Uh, Kennedy is uh, a student at Shorecrest High School. Uh, Sarah, would you please pronounce your last name for me? Decor. Decor, okay, wow, okay. And uh, uh, Sarah is uh, a student at, what year are you, uh, Sarah, at Kent Meridian High School? I'm in uh, 10th grade. Okay, and then uh, Kennedy, what grade? What, what year are you? I'm also in tenth grade. And then Osiah Stewart, uh, I don't have your information. What school do you go to, and what what year? What grade are you at? Hi, I'm a senior at Inglemore High School. Inglemore, okay. So uh, the MLK uh, Organizing Coalition has the county covered. It's pretty obvious right there. But what I want to do is start with Alexis because Alexis is heading up the virtual youth event. And then I want to talk to the rest of you guys about your commitment. Uh, what do you see the future being and anything that inspired you to get involved with the MLK Organizing Coalition? So Alexis, uh, tell us about what's going to be happening on January 16th, which is the day before the King holiday. Yeah, so January 16th is um, a Sunday and we're having our annual youth event um, this year. It's going to be virtual from 2 to 4 p.m. Our theme is about reclaiming the narrative. And so where that comes from is in the past year, we've seen a lot of legislation um, being passed and a lot of discourse around what quote unquote critical race theory is and if it's being taught in um, K through 12 education. And there's, that's a whole other conversation. But what we as youth in the MLK coalition wanted to shed light on is the fact that regardless of that discourse that's been going on um, this past year, our education system does a does have a fault in the stories and the narratives that it teaches us from a very young age and the representation that certain groups of people do or don't get. And just really, there's a lot of false narratives and a lot of um, harmful practices and rhetoric in our education system that are normalized and that we want to shed light on and give, you know, true accounts of stories based on our own, our own education system, as well as like the things that we should be learning in school. And so our um, event this year is going to be composed of, you know, real life stories from other youth across the county um, taking part in a panel. We're also going to have youth performers and really just talk about, um, the way that we need to be educating our community and our people when our education system fails in that department. Well, you know, it sounds to me like you need to invite some principals and teachers and some superintendents to, to, to that event because, you know, you guys are the recipient of the education system. And if you got those kind of forward thinking ideas, they definitely need to be heard. Now, so also the, we had the, uh, the CLMLP Organizing Coalition has the intern program, thanks to Sade. So I want to start with uh, Sarah. Why don't you uh, just talk to the folks about uh, what got you interested in uh, the MLK Organizing Coalition and your thoughts on Martin Luther King Jr.? 
Uh, so personally, I got inspired <clears throat> because me as a woman of color, I kind of wanted to be a part of something where I'd feel like I'd belong. And uh, one day I was uh, scrolling through my school email and I seen an application uh, to apply. And I was like, oh, I like really would be interested in this. So I applied and uh, thankfully uh, Alexis called me and uh, she kind of just let me know that she's calling some of the interns she's interested in. And then a few days later, uh, I was accepted. So thank you, Alexis. And thank you, Sade. But uh, my personal thoughts on MLK is uh, definitely a strong, wonderful man. Uh, I think being this uh, March and uh, youth program is honestly doing something really great. Uh, reclaiming the narrative and truth is something uh, we all should be taking part of. And like Alexis said, the education system has failed. So this is kind of like reclaiming that and just getting the truth out there. So, um, yeah. Okay. Now Kennedy Palmore, uh, who is a student at Shurecrest High School, uh, I'd like to have you comment on what got your interest in, or why did you decide to hook up with the CLMLK Organizing Coalition as an intern? Right. Well, actually, my friend introduced me to the internship because she also applied. And um, I thought it was just a really good way to connect more into my community, um, especially because I grew up with a lot of white people around and so I never really got really in touch with like my black side I guess and um so it was a really good um opportunity for me to um work with more people of color and just be more into my community um so yeah and just like MLK and how he like um, inspires me to like be more outgoing and like and an activist in my community. So, uh, are you active uh, in at, at, at Shorecrest? Yes, um, I help with. I am a part of my um, BSU at Shorecrest, as well as um, I am the founder of um, the Womanism Club at my Shorecrest. Um, at Shorecrest, which is which centers around um, Black women and their and spirituality, um, because feminism often um, focuses around white women, and so me and my friend wanted to focus around more women of color. That's a, that's a, that's a great initiative. Now uh, the last guest is Oasi. Osai. Osai. Okay. Yes. Actually, I don't have your name. Then I'm sorry. Why don't you give Thank us your last name too? Because I didn't have it on the email or have you on Facebook. I will correct that. So you, I do want you to text me a headshot. So because this program will repeat on Saturday at uh, seven o'clock a.m. So I want to make sure that you get due credit for being on the program. So okay. tell me your name once again. My name is Osai Stewart. O S A Y I. Okay, Osai Stewart, mm -hmm. and you are a senior at Interlake. Inglemore High School. Inglemore. Okay, Inglemore. Yes. Okay, and uh, I want to address the same question to you about uh, what inspired you to uh, become a intern with the CLMLK Organizing Coalition, and also your thoughts about um, any motivation that you got from reading or hearing of Dr. King's speeches. So yeah, I, I agree with all what the ladies said. First of all, um, I was first introduced to this um, internship through my superintendent. Uh, she saw me doing incredible work in my community and thought I would be a great asset to this coalition. Um, through this time, I've been able to just really dig deeper into what MLK stood for. I think oftentimes in schools, we are only taught the surface level of what MLK did for black people or for all minority people in general. But through, through this internship, I'm able to, you know, create workshops and be able to just speak to different people who have the same legacies or who want to follow the same legacies as MLK did. Um, with that said, I just, I think this internship is an amazing opportunity for each and every single one of us. I'm very thankful to Ms. Sade and Alexis for choosing me because this was able to, again, open my eyes to see like what difference we can make in our community. So I'm very happy to be a part of this. And that's great. I'm glad you're a part too. Now, another thing is that, uh, are you 18 yet? I'm 17. Okay, so you know what you got to do when you're 18, right? Yes, sir, I do. Okay, and I want to make sure that all other participants on this panel know when you get close to it, if you have friends 
that are 18, they, if they don't have a voter, their voter registration cards, you need to tell them they need to get one because it's very, very important. And that's what Martin Luther King III is emphasizing this year. I had the opportunity to interview him uh, for the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s only visit to Seattle, the November 6th through the 8th, which was sponsored by the Northwest African American Museum. And one of the things they want to emphasize this year, no celebration, but be diligent in making sure we have our right to vote. So uh, since Alexis is a key organizer, I want to go back to you to see if you have any thoughts or invites for anyone that might be listening on the program uh, to get engaged with you and if you have any contact information uh, for the folks. Yeah, absolutely. So our event, like we mentioned earlier, is January 16th, and more information will be coming out in the new year as we get a little bit closer about how to register for the event. But you can definitely follow um, the event through the, either the Martin Luther King Organizing Coalition's Instagram, which is MLK Seattle, or we have created our own Instagram for the youth event, which is called Seattle MLK Interns. And I just really want to echo exactly what um the rest of the ladies had said earlier, like we've been doing a lot of, they've been doing a lot of really great work in um, talking about and advocating for the issues that are important to them and bringing this event to life with all that in mind. And we do have another intern who unfortunately wasn't able to make it today. Her name is Megan, um, Megan's son. She's a senior at Interlake High School. I mean, mm, she's a senior in Bellevue. I'm not sure if it's Interlake, my bad. But yeah, I'm just really um, glad to still be a part of the coalition after last year I was an intern and this has just been a really great opportunity to, like they all said, connect with the community and with ourselves and our identities. Okay, well, I want to thank all of you for taking the time out today and thank you for your participation with Seattle MLK uh, Junior Organizing Coalition. And uh, I want to wish you all a happy new year. Stay safe, stay warm, and stay committed to the, to the cause. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Okay, uh, Eric, I want to go and uh, first of all, wish quite a few people a uh, uh, happy new year. It's Sound Transit, uh, the Chief of Labor, uh, Leslie Jones. The Chief of uh, Labor, Equity, and Inclusion, John T. Robinson. And thank you, John T., for the Get Well card after my surgery. I want to also thank Nikki Croxton down and the supervisor and accounts payable. Uh, also, on, uh, uh, the City of Seattle's Construction Services Office, uh, Liz Alzir, Carol Wong, uh, Jesse, uh, Mark, uh, Carmen, Happy New Year to you. And the Port of Seattle, uh, Me and Rice Diversity Contracting Office along with Lawrence Coleman. Want to thank the folks out at the airport, Don, Don and Lyle and Debbie. I uh, also want to thank Louis Navarro. And then that, I forgot to mention that I want to thank the chair of the Sound Transit Board, who is Councilman Kent Keel out of University Place. And then two shout outs and condolence, one for uh, Carolyn, Carolyn Hubbard. Uh, her information is on the front page of uh, this week's fact, uh, Carolyn's father and my father, Mr. Uh, Lamar Victor and Eddie Rice Sr., real good friends. And also uh, the front page of the Seattle Medium has a story about uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And also uh, there's a story on the online version of uh, the Seattle Medium about Kenny Joe McMullen, who passed away after he moved back to, uh, to Alabama. So I want to wish everybody a happy new year. Stay safe, stay warm. Happy New Year, Eric. Talk to you next year.